We're back. This is the, uh, I don't think I have a name for this yet. I think I called it a villain cast at one point, uh, but it's a Chris Payne's villain podcast. Uh, this is episode two. Uh, I'm joined with Charles Harriet from Gainesville, Florida. Uh, Charles is a very good friend of mine. Um, we've done plenty uh, uh, different places around the world. Um I'll let him introduce himself. So, uh, yeah, go ahead, Charles. Hi, my name is Charles Harriet. Um, I am those things he said. I'm here in Gainesville, Florida right now, and I'm a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt, and I love travel, and I traveled a bit more before COVID, but now I still try and uh, leave my house occasionally. Uh, so I met Charles, I think, would have been around about 2018 at the Globetrotters Haderberg camp, uh, which was around yes. that year. Where you were a horrible troll of a human being. <laughs> Nothing has changed. Uh, <laughs> Charles was uh, one of the uh, black belts teaching at the camp. I think I was actually teaching at the camp as well, just one class uh, as a brown belt. Uh, I looked at the uh, instructor timetable and I saw Charles's name and he was doing a class on Darces. I think my yes. way of explaining this story makes it sound a bit more like I don't come across too much of an asshole. Um, yeah, it makes you sound like like a nice person. But I recently talked to Preet about this story and I got I got his version and you're an even bigger asshole. Well, what did he say? <laughs> well, he, he had he added the details of how happy you were to to frustrate and annoy me on my very first day at camp when I knew literally zero people. <laughs> <laughs> I just knew I'd like you, so I thought, you know. It's, it was my way of, <laughs> of like negging you or something. Um, yeah, so what uh, happened was I saw Charles was teaching this class on the, the DAS, and I can't remember the full details, but I'm pretty sure I just said, I don't think you could DAS me or something like that. Or just like, went, oh, uh, okay. It was, it was literally, I felt like I was in a TV show. So it was my first day. I know no one. I just met Christian for the first time. I just got, got referred by Dan Reed in Taiwan that like, I wasn't horrible at jiu-jitsu, and so Christian just, like, gave me a shot. So I'm essentially, like, in my view, interviewing to be, like, accepted in this group. And um, he walked up to me, like, so you're the Darce guy? Yeah. He's like, well, can you Darce me? And I'm like, what, what, do, you, what do you mean? Like, you're like no, 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 we'll, we'll roll. I would like to see if, if you can Darce me. Like, uh, oh, okay, this is, this is strange. <laughs> And like, I think half the open mat later, like 30 to 45 minutes later, like I did not darce you. And you had this shitty grin on your face. And, and pre-tour of the story was you ran over to him, like, you know, the darce guy. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, yeah, I think that did happen. Yes. Um, and I was just like, you're an even bigger ass than, than I thought. <laughs> obviously it wasn't that bad because because we're still friends now we're still doing stuff like this oh yeah um, I, it, well it forced me to take Globetrotters camp a lot more seriously I'm home to my room and I was just like well between that and like the standard of the instructors here I better have my shit together and so uh, it definitely uh, it definitely made me take classes there very seriously and actually worked out very well for me because my uh, both my darts and my leg lock class went really well at that camp and I was invited back and you know, now here we are. Yes, so that was uh, so that was three years ago or something like that. And uh, I think during that time, you were uh, correct me if I'm wrong. You're coming towards the end of something like a ten month uh, trip around the world doing jujitsu. 
Yeah, pretty close to that. Um, I think that one ended up being close to eight or nine months. But yeah, in that in that uh, general region, I had done like a little mini trip around the U.S. to start things out uh, in February, and then I kind of graduated from there and like made the big leap and visited my sister in Hawaii because my sister happened to be living in Hawaii at the time, and used that to get me into Asia, and then from Asia over into Greece and Eastern Europe, and then. Yeah, it was the end of the European leg, and then I ended up doing kind of putting around uh, Germany and uh, the UK a little bit before I landed back in the USA. Well, that's the uh, the so that kind of brings me on to kind of uh, what the topic of this I wanted to uh, podcast to be about. So um, that kind of blew my mind at the time. Like the whole globe trot, I think, kind of blew my mind when I first. Uh, read christian's book you know nine years ago whenever it was um that jujitsu could be this incredible vehicle for going to see the world but you were someone who was like actively doing it at the time um and so obviously we can't do any of that now due to uh the rona um but well other you kind of can like i think but it's just hard like, for example, I got to teach at the St. Bartholomew camp, uh, the Caribbean camp with Christian yes. and Preet and Aaron, a few other people. But literally, everybody who came to that camp, like half of us got there. And then like 12 hours after we landed, France closed the borders and said no one else is allowed in St. Bartholomew for any reason, unless it's an emergency. Like we literally made it by 12 hours. Had we gotten, had our flights been one day later, we would have all been kicked out and not gotten the country. Like, oh, so you can, you can do it. And like, for example, one of the, one of the people at the camp, uh, Matt, she's just started her own world travel in the midst of, of Corona and she's still doing it. She's just like, no, I'm not, I'm not going to not do this. And so like, you know, you just have to be a lot, it's just a lot harder. Like yeah, you can do it, but it requires a lot of planning. Like, so for example, before you go anywhere, you got to get Corona tested like three or four times and, it's different for every country and you have to get all these extra paperwork and visas. And if you have a vaccine, you get your little vaccine card. Like it's just, it's possible. Just it's so much planning. Whereas when I did it, I could literally be like, eh, where do I want to go next? Let's look at, at skyscanner.com and like where I am to the rest of the world and see where the cheapest flight is or the most interesting flight is. And then hop on a plane and figure it out as I go. Like that was totally possible. Whereas if you do that now, you're probably going to get in trouble and get sent back. Because a lot of the people who were supposed to come to that camp got sent back home due to like little things where like the country they were transiting through is now on a, you know, not okay list. Yeah, yeah, of course. And um, it wasn't like three days earlier, you know, like, so it's, it's not impossible. It's just a lot harder now. Like it's definitely difficult mode versus easy mode. So starting from the beginning then, so we'll go we'll talk about your jujitsu journey then and your your like uh personal journey from you know when you started jujitsu up until the point before you decide to go and do this like start doing this this insane amount of traveling so yeah let's oh, tell us uh, what what brought you up to that that point well the irony was i never really intended to do jujitsu do jujitsu so to speak like I'm the classic story you hear about the person who like, I was a karate guy. And then from karate, I became kind of a kickboxing and Muay Thai guy. Like I just, 
I like striking arts. I did maybe learned a little bit of judo, went to like an Aikido or wrestling seminar here or there along the way, did like our niece. Like my, I went to a strip mall karate school and our coach would just pretty much like learn other stuff and bring it back to us. So like in order to keep us interesting, he would bring Kali and so we'd do stick fighting and then there'd be a judo guy who'd come in or just be very much like we'd learn little bits of things. And so we were in the ground fighting when I was just a karate guy back when I was in high school, but we really didn't know anything. Like I was the champion of my karate school's grappling program used as loosely as possible to turn grappling program. And my special move that allowed me to defeat my entire school of other karate people was a simple headlock. My entire strategy was our matches would start out sitting back to back. You would say go. I would grab their head, squeeze, and walk in the circle like Homer Simpson. And I was the champion. Like I was, I was like the the, the one-eyed one-eyed man with cataracts in the land of the blind. And I was I was king of my tiny little, you know, puddle. And like genuinely thought, like watching the UFC, like, why are these guys making it so complicated? <laughs> like, what, what kind of like uh, year was that? Because obviously, was there much uh, jujitsu grappling in the area at the time? Was there a scene growing? See, like the irony is, I was in South Florida, and it's actually a hotbed for for jujitsu and grappling. Just in my area where I lived, I was old school, so like I'd been at the same martial arts school since I was three years old. So from three to six, it was a Taekwondo school, and I was there. And then it got bought by a karate guy and I was there from six to 17. So like the whole loyalty thing of like, you don't go and leave your school was like really deep. I literally been raised in this martial arts school. And so like, I never thought that I needed to, to try and go to a jiu-jitsu school. I, I've been to other karate schools and the karate that I learned there, I competed in sparring, like was always good enough. I wasn't, I wasn't by no means like a like national world champion, but like, Anywhere that I went in terms of striking, like, I could hold my own. Like, I had started learning boxing and kickboxing, which made things a bit more real than the point karate that I started with. And so, like, in my mind, I was making the progress and learning, you know, I learned side control and we learned scarf hold. and We, we knew a few holds. And for us, like, we thought that was enough. Truthfully, like, three or four miles from where I was, there was jiu-jitsu schools i think there might i don't know uh what it was at the time i know now there's enzo gracie and all kinds of there were grappling schools in that area because i know that i have friends who i knew it from Gainzo, who lived 45 minutes from me like pablo popovich was there marcelo garcia was there like there was yeah. amazing training to be had down there way back when i just was completely ignorant of it because i was a karate guy and like you know we're not in the same circle i just didn't know so where did you start then? So you started with the grappling in the karate school. So where was your yeah. first That was when I was in high school. Yeah. And then I went to college and I started breakdancing instead of doing karate. I was kind of like not interested in the karate available in the area, or at least the ones that I tried out from the college clubs. And I just started breakdancing instead. It wasn't until I took a, a Tai Chi class and, and like one of the guys in the Tai Chi class told me about this guy who was teaching him like other things at his house. And then like, is this guy uh, had his own system. He made it, had some grappling in it. And I started doing that with him. And then I ended up at a MMA school. 
called um, called F2, and then they merged with Dragon Master Martial Arts, which was the MMA school that I ended up learning my first real grappling at. And I remember when that happened, like I came home to my karate school and I was like, guys, we all suck. You know, and I can say that confidently because like I'm the best of you guys and I'm the worst where I train. Like there's no one worse than me. There's literally nobody worse than me. And I beat you guys. So you guys all suck too. <laughs> I think the amount of people that could actually say like that's happened to them is astoundingly high, especially those of yeah. us who there earlier on in the days of this before it became so ubiquitous that you could find jujitsu everywhere those of us who like grappled at other martial arts schools yeah it's just so weird well all it took if you were a little coordinated or like knew a move or two like you were king and you had no real reason to to look outside of it because you're always winning you're winning among people who don't know what they're doing but you you don't know that you know i think those days are becoming uh less and less likely to happen these days since jujitsu is is kind of everywhere i mean i remember when uh in stafford we had like there was no grappling there was no jujitsu or anything like that and then all of a sudden i think we've got three black belts in this tiny town um yeah like when i started in gainesville even so even that place like so it ended up being gainesville florida which compared to where i was in south florida and palm beach gainesville is a backwater for jujitsu compared to where i was the irony was I went all the way to North Florida where there was actually less jujitsu to start grappling. Whereas where I came from had way more jujitsu. I just didn't know it was there. <laughs> yeah. Especially like, you know, the likes of Pablo Popovich and, uh, and all the various things that have turned up over the years, like ATT, et cetera. It's like, yeah, you know, there's so much to train. I just, I just didn't know. It was just, I mean, like, the only real training I had back then, I think a guy named Trevor Sherman, who was an MMA fighter, like he did a seminar or two. But like as, as much as Trevor Sherman's great, like he's an MMA fighter, like how much are you really going to learn from three hours, right? I think we had two or three seminars. So I think I had like maybe six to eight hours of training with an actual grappler. The rest was just, you know, us knuckleheads just figuring out amongst ourselves. Yeah, of so course. Like, it's so different. But then from there, like even Gainesville. So then like the the growth in Gainesville at that point in time, the highest ranking person in town was like a purple belt. Um, you know? So you move into your first jujitsu school then. So who did you uh, learn under that you got predominantly well, all your experience well, off? That's the interesting thing. So like in the beginning, it was still mostly MMA guys. I never really got ranked. There was a, a black belt in town um, who I learned under. So like, he was a black belt, but for whatever reason, and like how the other, it was weird. Like he was a black belt in judo and a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu from Brazil. But for whatever reason, the MMA guys didn't really like want to acknowledge his black belt. Like they were saying like he wasn't really a black belt. There was like drama about that. Like, cause you know, legitimacy and stuff is always drama. So like he was the first person I trained under. His name was Alfredo. And so like, mm. I, I, he was, it was great. The class was taught um, very similarly to a judo class. He's also a judo black belt. And, Jiu-jitsu was, was fine. It was great for me. But I remember there was drama about that. And then when the school closed down, because back then, like, it was MMA school, but no one wanted to pay mat fees. And so no one pays fees. Everyone wanted to come and train for free. And so that's not a very good business. And the place oh. closed down. <laughs> um. I mean, for all my, all of my, um, actually, to, to answer your question, later on, a guy named Beto Nunez ended up moving to Gainesville from Lakeland. He's a De La Hiva black belt. And yeah. I was a fourth 
right belt, like kind of like in sandbagger status because they never promote me. He ended up promoting me from white to blue to purple to brown before he moved away to Dubai or Abu Dhabi. I'm not sure which one during that that big gold rush era where like everyone was going to Dubai. Yeah. Uh, so who did you get your black belt off them? Uh, was uh, so after he left, a good friend of his named Hinaldo Santos had kind of kept in contact with a lot of the. Uh, Beto's old students in town, and he ended up being the one to promote me from brown to black. Um, right, I see. About four or five years ago, actually three years ago, I don't remember. I don't know what year it is anymore. Uh, I have my first degree now, so somewhere between three and five years ago. I don't remember. <laughs> um, I think it must be, yeah, about three to five years ago, because I remember you, you've been a black belt for, I think, one or two years when I first met you. And that was two yeah. Um, okay, so what did you do then? Like you had to go into as much detail as you wish, but like personally, then so you're doing jujitsu as your as your hobby. Uh, you didn't intend to be doing jujitsu, uh, like as a, as a. No, I honestly just wanted to learn enough to stop these little spiders from crawling up my back and choking. Like I really just wanted to learn a little. I wanted to learn anti jujitsu, just enough to like not get choked and keep punching people and kicking people. And then I kind of fell in love with it, and um, that was that. So during this time. I had no idea what I was doing with my life. So I actually started jujitsu very similar. It's like right when I was end of college, graduating college. And I just, I had like a minor panic attack at my graduation ceremony as I was like, you have $200 in your bank account right now. You didn't apply to graduate school. You don't have a job and rent is exactly $200. And so you, you don't really have any money. You should probably try and get a job or figure your life out. And so I ended up um, just teaching kickboxing for the gym that I was at, that same MA gym, uh, before it closed down. And one of the guys who was there happened, who was one of my people who was teaching me grappling, he actually happened to be very high up in this local company. And he told me to go ahead and uh, apply for an internship. And I ended up pretty much just working at that same company for eight and a half years and working my way up to the ranks from like intern to analyst, to another type of analyst, to another type of analyst to a software developer, to manager. And then I ended my final position uh, when I left the company was uh, doing natural gas trading. But pretty much I had no real goal on that front. Like I only planned on working there for a year. I graduated with a physics major and I was like, I couldn't find any examples of physics PhDs that were happy. And so I was like, I don't wanna spend four to six years of my life trying to get a PhD and then just be a miserable human. Let's just see what this working and this like working stuff is about. And so yeah. I uh, I got a job and I was like, give it a year. And if I hate it, I'll go to grad school. And if I don't, I'll do that. And that's kind of what happened. I they kept on promoting me and I liked it there and kind of lost track of time and was there eight and a half years working at that same company. And so I was pretty much trying to always make sure that I could train a lot. So I tried to train as often as I could in the beginning. I trained every day for two hours at lunch and then trained at night. And then as I got promoted higher in the company, I trained a little bit less, but I was still pretty obsessive and very much like no compromise about my training time as I kind of progressed through the ranks of the company. And I got lucky because that same guy who invited me to, um, to apply to the company also does jiu-jitsu and a bunch of other people at the company did judo and jiu-jitsu and stuff. And so my obsession with it wasn't seen as like freakish or strange by, I guess, the people that mattered. It was more encouraged as like, you're doing well at the company. You're also, this hobby you have isn't bad. 
it's constructive. Well, by the sounds of things, it's um, how you're describing, like, obviously, uh, you know, I imagine the majority of people who, who may listen to this aren't black belts and, and don't see this kind of life that, that jujitsu can lead to. But it's very similar how uh, I, my life was prior to the black belt as well. In uh, I, you know, was training. I was I was quite militant to make sure I went there. I, I you know, was running this uh, the fine fit gym because my my coach just left, and then you know, there was like four or five of us just just rolling around in the uh, the attic which you have visited. Um, yeah. And at the same time, I was uh, in my career as a firefighter. Uh, still am. Um, but I was that was that was like that was it. You know, I was a firefighter, and that would be my my life for the next uh, forty years. Because I had no context for where jujitsu could take me. I didn't have anyone to promote me. I was a white belt. Uh, eventually, obviously, you know, met Christian and got my blue belt and purple belt. But still, it's like you know, there's there's so many uh, amazing instructors uh, not far from. Uh, Stafford you think there's there's Braulio over in Birmingham there's Roger down in London there's Oli Geddes there's there's so many different amazing characters like who am I um so it just seemed like fire service was the only way to be but then there was this the amazing change around brown belt level that no jiu-jitsu is an amazing vehicle to actually go do these things maybe I'm not supposed to be a firefighter forever um it sounds like something very similar happened with you in that you were doing this, uh, working your way up through this company whilst also being quite militant with making sure you were training all the time, then it seems that there's this uh, crux moment where all of a sudden you've gone from this is my life to wow, jiu-jitsu's like changed a lot of things now. I can actually go do something quite spectacular. Well, the funny thing about me was like, I... I never really had like the goal of what I want to do with my life. I always met those people in college, you know, those people that are like, I will be a lawyer. I will be a doctor. I'm going to cure cancer. Like they had like these really lofty, amazing goals. I never had that. I was always just like, I was that guy who wanted to be undecided in college. But my advisor was like, don't do that dummy. You're just going to end up wasting your scholarship and not getting (laughs) your degree. Like, just pick one, just pick a degree. And I, I picked physics because it was interesting. And every one of the people when it was kind of like, should I get a job? Like, why would you do that? You should have picked engineering so you can actually get a job. Like with physics, you kind of need to get your PhD. You're stupid. Like, and I was like, oh, my bad. But it was weird for me because and my, my beginning is so similar to yours. Cause I was, I was a white belt and there was no one to promote me and I had at that point in time, I think three jobs. I had my internship getting, uh, you know, getting paid what interns get paid, which is not much. And then I was teaching kickboxing and then I was tutoring physics. So I had three jobs just trying to make ends meet. And I remember when I got my first promotion to have like a full-time job at the company and I could like go down to just having two jobs instead of three, I was like, oh, oh, this is nice. And then when the school closed and when the school closed down and I was no longer at the kickboxing job, then I was like, oh, I have one job. I'm a normal adult. I have health insurance. This is nice. Like I can pay my bills. I can pay off my student loans. Like the, the uh, abilities to do things as an adult 
by just having a regular job were nice. But I never wanted to believe that. Like in my head, I was like, you're going to go have an exciting life. My only goal was have an exciting life. And so I was like, you're going to go to Japan. You're going to go here. I had all these places I wanted to go and see and explore. And I was always thinking like this, this job thing, this is just a thing I'm doing for now. But I remember like when I finally went off and did it, I was just like, if you don't do this, like you're going to get old and you're going to have kids and you're going to have a lot of reasons that are going to make this a lot harder. And so like my real motto when I started traveling, so I started traveling before I left the job. I was thinking like when I was like my last year of the job, I did like a little mini world tour uh, in, in two weeks on my two weeks vacation. And I had been saving because I never really spent all that much money. Cause like the thing about jiu-jitsu is like, you just pay your gym fees and that's really all you pay. And so like, it's not like other hobbies where like, if you're a guitar player, you got to get a, a new nicer guitar or like say to be like really expensive, right? If you like, if yachting is your hobby, well, you need a lot of money to support that hobby. Jiu-Jitsu, you really just need your body. Unless you're a geese knob, you don't really need all that many geese. No. <laughs> you know, like it's very affordable. Like the training can be expensive, right? Like Jiu-Jitsu costs more than other martial arts. If you're going to go to a karate school, the dues are usually considerably cheaper than mm. if you're going to jiu-jitsu school, especially compared to judo. Like judo fees are way lower than jiu-jitsu fees. And so on that front, it is more expensive. But if you compare it to any other sport, like golf, for example, it's just dirt cheap. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Like it's, it's. I don't think uh, martial arts at all has, has ever come to the, maybe some of the, the more... Uh, amazing schools out there like i know the uh, art of jiu-jitsu or something might be a, a little bit more expensive but like the the average town jiu-jitsu gym um but even that like the top tier like what is i think the most expensive jiu-jitsu gyms are like what 300 dollars a month and like that's expensive don't get me wrong but it's nothing if you compare it to like a membership at a country club if you want to play golf you know no that's true it's it's that's just true. it's just the it's orders of magnitude different of of how much investment and money you have to make or if you want to learn how to fly a plane or if you want to if you want to become a, a drag racer right you have to get a gift to get a car and if your car is a piece of crap it doesn't matter how good of a racer you are like it's it doesn't have that prohibition of i need stuff like like how the quality of your stuff doesn't really affect your performance right you can have a piece of crap basketball short and t-shirt and the guy in the full like uh what's it called like like lucky gee or or um What's the what's the gi that people can act like like Jordan? I forgot what's called again. Show your roll. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, or a show your roll. The guy in the show your roll gi, his jiu-jitsu skills are not better than yours because he has a show your roll gi, right? Like you yeah. if you have a piece of crap hand-me-down gi, you have just as much chance to beat that guy. Actually, you say something like that, it's a slight segue. It's one of the funniest uh little like jokes I've heard like a few years ago. Not like uh, laugh out loud funny, but just still tickles me to this day is that um someone said their their favorite uh olympics is the winter olympics simply because uh when people fail there it makes them happier to watch just because (laughs) as in in the summer olympics like you know you can be anyone from anywhere and if you're fast and you can uh you know Uh... a coach who can just teach you you know and and a track that you can run on you can you can get good 
for the Winter Olympics, only people who can enter the Winter Olympics are those who can afford to go to to these amazing places like ski resorts or afford a bobsled or anything like that. And so yeah, you yeah, want yeah. to fail. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and that's just like a much, much more fun sport to watch. Just to, oh. This is why we're friends. You're like, uh, you're a bit of a sicko. And I like it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, <laughs> you're bathing in the tears of people's shattered dreams like yes <laughs> and ever since that, i've just uh, I've, it's made me appreciate the winter olympics a lot more because it you know, <laughs> fails at the summer olympics like that's sad you know they've they've built themselves up maybe from nothing to to get to this amazing games the winter olympics are just rich people throwing money away it's like i don't know i think that i think you're forgetting about curling i think that yeah. anybody can be a curler I, I, when I first saw that, I'm like, this is amazing. Like, they made sweeping into a sport. This is amazing. <laughs> you say that, there's also like, uh, there, there are some summer sports which are, you know, you, you, you can say the same about really, uh, where there's definitely a, a richer part. But by and large, you can throw, if you can throw stuff or run fast, then you don't really need the money for it, but you definitely need money to go. Exactly. <laughs> um, anyway. Uh, oh, yeah, getting getting back on track because yeah. we're gonna have segues because we're both ridiculous people. Yeah, we're going but, um, ages. What, I, what I was getting at was just the um, the beginnings of of just that hunger because like I never wanted to believe that I was just gonna be a like a like a desk jock in my head. Like the being the, like working the desk is paying for like my real life, which and I never knew what it was because like. I never wanted to be in the UFC. I had this fantasy. So my fantasy wasn't that I ever wanted to be in the UFC. My, my fantasy was that I wanted to train at the gym of the guy who was the best in the world and beat him regularly. And no one needed to know about us. <laughs> so I could know <laughs> that I was actually the best in the world, but never have to take any actual risk, never have to go out there and put all the lights and stuff but i would know i would know inside and that'd be enough for me <laughs> that was my dream as a like, kid when when because uh, obviously you have to do like an instructor short instructor like bio uh, for the, the globetrotter camps um yeah. and i think yours was like you know sometimes compete sometimes win and it was like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's no ego there anything like that yeah you you know like i say you've, you've trained with some some pretty incredible names throughout the years um like you know some of the stories you've told me yeah you yeah don't... i've had a great time with it but the funny thing is like that's always been my thing like i always prefer the gym there's something for me like i fell in love with visiting gyms so like even before i started traveling traveling like i ended up doing now like when i was in florida as a white belt i would go and get in the car and drive to jacksonville to go train at a gym that had some guys that were supposed to like just like it was like all like hearsay like oh these guys over in jacksonville they're really good and like we just get in the car all right let's go let's go train with those guys and that was always my thing because you go to the gym and like you get to roll with them over and over again like i was always cheap as heck so i was like i can pay a hundred bucks to go to this tournament or 50 bucks back then probably it's like 50 or 60 bucks back then and i if i lose I don't, i'm done i just get one match maybe i get two if i do gi and no gi but if i go and i pay this 15 dollar 10 dollar mat fee I can roll with a whole gym. And that was always the choice that I made. I would always choose to roll with that whole gym and I'd be in the car, like the worst training partner ever back then, thinking about it. Like 
like like amping myself up like listening to like like i songs to amp myself up like the roots like okay here i come i'm gonna do this and like just going to war in what's supposed to be a regular class like that's how we train we didn't train like let's be swap no it was like every role was to the death like I got choked unconscious. Like it didn't matter. <laughs> I just wanted. I don't think. I get better. <laughs> I don't think white belts have changed. I think they're still trying to roll to the death, <laughs> no matter where they go. But actually, like, it's funny you said say that because I was pretty much the exact same because I had nowhere really uh, to teach me. I was traveling a lot. I'd, I'd go to Leicester to uh, Leicester shoot, or I'd go to seminars, or I'd go down to London, and I'd, I'd maybe go down like maybe on the early commuter trains and try and get like an early class at like seven eight a.m. Then go for a lunchtime yeah. class and an evening class, and just like really just like hit everything I could in one day, like pack multiple geese. I was just this white belt rocking yes. up, so maybe it's kind of like this. We you know we started local and then it just got wider and wider. The uh, that's really how it went because like you gain the confidence of. Right, I got the confidence of of traveling two hours because there was the best guy at my gym who was a wrestler. He was a D1 wrestler, like refused to get ranked in jiu-jitsu. And he would show up and I knew that like almost anywhere we went, he was going to wreck the room. And then I was the guy with him who like had like maybe half his skills, if that, with like no wrestling pedigree, who everyone would look at me like, okay, he's with that guy. He must be good. And I'm like, no, I'm just, I'm just his friend, but I'm here to go. <laughs> <laughs> um so like he would immediately like we would lose all possible like grace because he'd show up and just start wrecking people and so like they kind of take out the fact they couldn't be him on me <laughs> uh, yeah yeah that sounds pretty familiar actually because um, so, uh uh just for anyone listening to this or who doesn't know uh anything about me and charles um we've been uh on some pretty funny little adventures already we've uh we did a uh you you managed to get me to go over to uh octopus bjj over in tel aviv yeah you went to tel aviv with me you were my, the first person that i uh that i got to bring with me to israel it's a blast yeah it was the first time i'd ever been to israel and uh yeah i i, I can't say enough great things about uh, everyone at that gym shaul and um yeah uh, such a such a lovely gym uh although i think you kind of like set me up to fail quite spectacularly what are you talking about you did you you didn't fail at all it, it all worked out great i just didn't tell you that i entered you in a super fight yeah you didn't <laughs> you didn't tell me that you entered me into a super fight with like a really well-known israeli mma fighter and that was the main event of the whole like israeli i didn't know that either so all i knew was that someone said hey would you and your friend like to compete while you're here and i just said yes and that was it i never knew i never knew that uh, anything else <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of glad it went well um although <laughs> it still it still does make me uh laugh because i remember obviously before your fight we, we had this like long conversation about what the rules could be and, oh they uh, were so confusing because it was it was IBJJF rules but like even more like anti-leg lock and i like leg locks and so it was a horrible thing for me but you did you did great you, you i think i remember just were... saying like don't don't leg lock. Just don't leg lock. You don't have to leg lock. And you did go for the whole 15 minutes and didn't do a single leg lock. Yes. And I think it was like 14 was... minutes and like 58 seconds of like a 15 minute. We got the video. The actual leg lock happened at actually 15.01. So technically, it happened after time was over. <laughs> I think it was the reap that mattered more. <laughs> the, 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 but there was uh, no reap. I've sent this video to 
I'll, we can find the video and you can include it with the package if anyone wants, you know, some corollaries to the story. I've had IBJF looks at this. I did not reap. It's a false, false flag. It did not happen. Look into it. <laughs> I think you might have got gringoed, maybe. Um, no, I don't, I don't. I mean, maybe. I, I think it was one of those things where, like, yeah, the home, hometown thing is, is definitely a factor. But as, as the referee told me, like, I still remember that. Like, why would you give me a chance? And like, you just asked me like, why? Why I would give you a chance to disqualify me? Like, what? <laughs> yeah, there might, might be a slight gringoing. Um, <laughs> and then, so obviously we did the Israel trip, and then uh, there's the 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 two stints in America. So um, we, we, yeah, you your mini tour the first time. Then we had a proper one the second time. That whole East Coast. I'm really happy. Like that was. Yeah, Actually, we finished, kind of, so... finished that. I think I left New York the the day they had their first instance of of COVID. Um, so I'm pretty sure like, I was you. panicking. <laughs> airports or something. Um, yeah, they blame me. Oh. Patients zero going up the East Coast. Um, uh, who knows? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so going back to the, the 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 story then. So you you. Trading in natural gas, you were um, obviously climbing the ranks in jiu-jitsu uh, at the same yeah. time. I think that's actually quite, like, that's something important. Um, there's a, a brilliant documentary uh, by a friend of mine, Dan Lewis. Um, he did uh, Roll, Jiu-Jitsu in SoCal. Like, millions mm -hmm. of it's really, really good documentary on, on YouTube. And one, uh, one of the opening segments of it is a uh, short interview of uh, Chris Houter. Um, mm -hmm. And he says, you know, picture yourself in in ten years' time. You know, natural athlete or lot, you'll you'll be a black belt. So no matter what you're doing, like in your life, you know, like you know, trading natural gas or um, fire fire uh, on my side. As long as you keep training, you will get that black belt. And yep. as long as you don't stop. And it, we both did that, and now we're on the other side of it. And we're both pretty much getting to the point where uh, Rona be damned. Um, we're now doing jujitsu on those belts uh as a life and it's uh yeah so you got to the point then where you were now you know doing those two things at the same time you had your black belt and and you're you're working and you're working to uh, obviously do more of your life so what was the point then that you said right i'm gonna sack off work and i'm just gonna go travel well it was it was one of those things where like for a while i had already kind of been like thinking like mainly because of the fact that like i did a little trip a little trip to um oh wow i actually just remembered something i hadn't um hadn't thought about it in a while i did a trip uh, while i was still at the company and um i did a trip and it was i went to japan netherlands and london it was a three-stop trip and it took two and a half weeks and, and i remember through the trip, uh, I met a lot of people. I, um, but I kept meeting people at hostels and stuff. Like I had the the job that like that job that last job I had was the best paying job I've ever had in my life. And so, and I've always made sure to like still live really frugally. And so, I, I wasn't really like at a loss, but I still refused to like be extravagant because like for whatever reason, like it's just not really in me to uh, to be that guy who's just like flossing and like throwing money around, which is not my thing. But I love traveling. 
And so I kept seeing people who I knew like just had so much less than me. And they were just so happy. They were so happy, like whether they were lost or they knew where they were going, it didn't matter. Like they, they were just genuinely happy. So from like random people who were working places to other travelers, to some of the, my friends that I, that I met along the way, or my friend who had moved from the US over to the Netherlands and he had a, had a life there and it just kind of like was sticking with me. Like these people are, are so just fulfilled and happy. And like, why, why do I have this, this anxiousness? Like this, this antsiness about like, like when, when am I going to do it? Like, when am I going to actually travel? Cause I'd always wanted to travel. And I actually had, um, ironically, I never read Christian's book. So it was given to me as a gift. I had heard about him. And the first thing I thought with like my arrogant ass when I heard about the book was like, damn, someone else did what I wanted to do. Like, I won't be the first if I do this. Like, I was annoyed. I was like, oh, my idea. Because I was a brown belt at the time. And I was just like, someone else has, has done the thing that I was going to do. Ah. <laughs> I think he was a brown belt when he did it as well. Yeah. But I think I think I didn't even I didn't even get the book when it first happened. Like there was like legends of this guy who did this, and then I heard about the book. Um, the book was given to me as a gift, and I just I saw the book, and the book was a thing. Just like what what the fuck are you doing? Like you should do this, and it was sitting in the back of my head. And um, in short, like the 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 kick in the pants was like me and my job like kind of kind of broke up, so to speak. Um, and we, I was in a situation where I was sitting at home and I was just like, my motto was like, for a lot of things I was doing in my life at that time, like just trying different things. I, I, I went over and I did the float, the sensory deprivation tank, the float tank. And I remember it like it was yesterday. It was the, for the very first time I'd ever done it. And I wasted my first 15 minutes of the float tank, like on distracted thoughts. I had, I had T-Pain on my, um, my GPS. And so on the way to get to this place, I kept on hearing, in a quarter of a mile, turn left. <laughs> and so like, and so that was my GPS. And so my first 15 minutes in the float tank, that just kept on popping up. And I was like, you're wasting it. You paid money for this. Like, it take the experience. Turn left, shut up, turn left. And so like, that was stuck We might get some like, my head. That, that is uncanny. Like, I uh, yeah, I mean, I it, it was it was only on there for a short amount of time. So I was on Waze. It was a it was a short amount of time. You had the T Pain navigation a few years back. I loved <laughs> it, but it, they didn't pay him his rights for long enough, so it went away, and it ruined the first fifteen minutes of my century. After that, like I kind of went in and started like going into the place, and like a few epiphanies started happening about just things that I had been that I'd been putting off doing, things that I hadn't done. And um, I was like, okay, like, what are you gonna do? Are you gonna are you gonna do this? Like, and so I had like a bunch of ideas that I left with. Some of them were personal, some of them were professional, and I went straight from there, straight from the float tank to open mat. So this is in Tampa. It's a place called Ebor City Combat. Uh, I don't know if it's a Combat Club or Ebor City Jiu Jitsu, and they had their open mat. And I remember the guy who was running the open mat asked me just like, what's your name? Oh, I'm Charles, blah, blah, blah. And he asked me what I did for a living. And I said my job and I just started like pouring out like every insecurity that I had about my job and what I'm doing with my life. 
and like where I wanted, like, you know, and like, it's as if like after the float tank, like I was so released that like everything that like I refused to admit myself about what I wanted in life um, just poured out. And I looked and the guy looked at me because like I don't know this guy. I just met this guy. Like I'm pouring my soul out to this guy about like how I don't know what I'm gonna do with my life and like how I all of this stuff. And he just like gave me a hug and he was just like, I've um I know what it's like to do things I don't like I was like, I'm a I'm a veteran, like I know what it's like. He was, he was a veteran, he'd been in the military. Like, I know what it's like to like do something that you don't fully believe in. I was just like, I'm like, dude, like I, I, I it's not that serious. Like I, I have a great job. Like I, I was like the my conscious mind was like fighting my subconscious at that point. And it was so weird. And then I went to roll and like rolling was surreal. Like everything was happening in slow motion. Like, people would go stuff and I'd be like, Oh look, there's a chunk there. And so I had like the most magical rolling experience. And then I like went back home and I was like, what the hell? And then from there, I just kind of slowly decided I was, I was going to do this. And then I took the plunge and um, uh, I guess about a year after that. So about a year after that happened is when I finally left the country. I just kind of set my affairs in order a little bit. And so that happened while I still had the job. Me and the job broke up a little bit, um, a little bit after that happened. And um what um ended up happening was just kind of embarked on the trip and just decided that i was going to do it and i didn't have any reputation outside of like florida georgia and north carolina i'd only done a couple of seminars i hadn't i don't have a big name i haven't won anything right i'm not a world champion i'm not even a state champion. i mean i guess at blue belts i was the blue belt state champion at a couple of tournaments and i won a couple blue belt absolutes I've won my share of Nagas and new breeds and other tournaments that no one cares about, but I didn't have any IBJF accomplishments. I didn't have any titles. Um, my MMA record was 0-1. I had one MMA fight that I lost. Like there was nothing super impressive about me, but I decided to like hit the road uh, and, uh, and see what happened. At this point, I was now, I'd gotten my black belt because a year had passed I, um, from when I traveled as a brown belt. And my friend in Miami, uh, Daniel Perez, decided to, to let me teach a seminar at his gym to be like a fundraiser for my trip. And some of my family members that I hadn't seen in forever actually supported. They came out just to like show up and, and give me their blessing. People I hadn't seen in like five or 10 years were like, we're so happy you're following your dreams. And I was like, this is crazy. And then I, I set off and I started begging people to like give me a shot teaching at their gyms. And a lot of people just said, no, who are you? Or what have you done? And they just said, no. <laughs> like so many notes. <laughs> so that, that's actually one of the interesting points I want to kind of go on to is that, so obviously, you know, if, you're, if your name is, is Craig Jones or you're part of the, the Dan Hurd Death Squad, trying to land a seminar isn't that difficult. Uh, obviously, it's a little bit easier if you're a black belt in general. Um, yeah, having a black belt helps in certain parts of the world for sure. Um, just being a black belt in a lot of places, though, people still want to know who the hell are you. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, I think you have those like, you know, what have you done and what's your lineage, et cetera, which is kind of understandable. Exactly. But um, they want to know like, what have you won to actually, you know, deserve the right to be able to teach this. Um, yes. So what would be your advice then? um 
Well, I'm happy you said that. That's right into what I was going to talk about next. There's many ways of doing it. Um, The way that I kind of stumbled onto was I just went back to my roots. And so my roots of traveling and visiting gyms was always every time I go to a gym, because this is what I've been doing since the white belt. All I want people to come away with is two two things. That I don't suck at jiu-jitsu. They don't have to think that I'm good at jiu-jitsu. I just have to perform well enough when we're rolling and drilling so they don't think I suck, right? It's pretty low bar. Like they just have to think I don't suck. And thing number two, they think that I'm not an asshole. And if I am, an, if they do think I'm an asshole, I must be a lovable asshole because, <laughs> right? I, I, I can't be someone they don't want to ever see again. I can't be someone they don't want to spend time with. And so like, and it's not being fake. It's just genuinely being me because there will be people who think I'm an asshole or just don't like me, but that's fine. Like, if that's the case, if me being genuine me, like they don't like me, then that's fine. I, I don't have to see this gym again. But generally speaking, I'm pretty agreeable. I get along with most people. I got a pretty broad sense set of things that, that I enjoy. Like I can hang out with the Dungeons and Dragons people. I can hang out with the anime people. I can hang out with people talking about fitness. Like I can, I'm pretty well read. Like I, I just usually talking to someone, there's something, some common ground that I can find, whether it be music, dancing, like I'm very much someone who, who's just a lover of the human experience and like the things that, that exist on this earth. So like, generally speaking, like there's something we have in common, if at a minimum jujitsu, right? Cause we're all in the gym and we're all obsessed with jujitsu at a minimum. We can relate to that. I'd say that's, but I'm that's, not going to be a dick about it. Uh, from my short experience with, with traveling around and going to various gyms and camps and, other places um again like trying to uh, think about the you know if anyone's listening to this and they're, they're having the same ideas for when when we can do this again um aside from maybe the the super cultish um atmospheres you may get at some gyms or maybe uh, which that that's dying out anyway um and the the initial kind of painful roles where people try and like defend the gym's honor we we all have this amazing thing in common, and you know once once. But I the, think even uh, that part is good. I I still think even that part is good, and I think my best advice to people, at least people who are, uh, and this is going to sound like it's kind of sizest, uh, if that's a word. Like if you're at least a medium sized human, I think the next thing I'm going to say are, are a decent thing. If you're very small or you're elderly or you're just prone to injury then by all means, just don't roll with those people that are trying to defend the gym's honor or mat and force you or crush you or whatever it is. But if you're medium and like able to make yourself somewhat fit, I always view jiu-jitsu as a martial art. And so every gym has a different culture. If you walk into a gym and they're super flowy and friendly and like, yeah, it's all have fun, dude. You shouldn't go in there and try and break everyone in half just to prove that you're like the king. But on the other hand, if you walk into a gym and they're a bunch of killers, you should be able, right? If, if you're sufficiently advanced in jiu-jitsu, you should be able to hang with at least their beginners and intermediates, if not everyone in the gym, and show that you're a martial artist. Now, you don't have to. Like, this is like, like I said, you don't have to. If, if you're going to risk injury or a fight, like by no means. But there's definitely gyms where their gym culture is, we roll hard. And I think that you should be able to handle a hard road. 
I think that matching the gym's culture without necessarily escalating into like, we're going to go ADCC and break each other, but still being able to like, if someone turns the heat up on you, but they're not trying to injure you, right? They're not trying to snap your limb. They're just trying to go real hard. You should be able to roll hard with them. And so I think matching the culture of the gym is a key thing when you travel so that you can make friends. Because I've been to gyms where I've been too kind and they've just been like, oh, this guy just sucks at jiu-jitsu. Or I've been to gyms where I might be a little too aggressive, like even if not even like injuring people, just tapping people out too many times. If you tap out someone more than three times at some gyms, you're kind of seen as being rude, right? It's like at other gyms, they want you. They want to, they want you to tap as many times as you can. So it all depends on the gym that you're at. But I think being able to kind of understand the, the, the breadth of gym culture and you, the visitor, being able to adapt is a really powerful skill. Yeah, I'd say like if you, especially any like white belts, not listen to this, you know, non non black belts. Um, I think that's maybe like a key key nugget to take away from this is that um, when you go, yeah, it's it's been able to to read the room. Like you know, you have your own culture in your own gym where you might roll hard, you might not roll hard. Um, but being able to go into a different gym and be able to read how that gym is and like, are they rolling hard? Are they, uh, you know, was it, you know, very friendly, very relaxed. And it definitely makes the, uh, the, the, the group warm to you if they can see you as one of them. Um, yeah. And yeah, like that's you know, going back around to, you know, having something in common. We all have this in common. It's, it's quite funny. Like all the night outs we've been on, you know, after, uh various seminars and, and places we've we've been to um how many like maybe partners of uh, uh like the coach who, who come along with us and how utterly bored they are because everyone else around the table is <laughs> into jujitsu and that's all we can talk about and- it's so sad i try so hard not to but it when i'm around if you give me another jiu-jitsu person like there we are it's over <laughs> it's a good thing because we can all of us can talk for hours on this one subject. Um, yeah. Terrible for anyone who isn't in this. But again, this is, you know, if this is advice for people who want to get out there and, and, and make up for, you know, something they didn't do pre-COVID, thinking they, they always had this, oh, should we go traveling and now? agree. Always ask. Like, that's the biggest thing. Like, people, almost everyone, the same way that they love jiu-jitsu, most people, no matter where it is, it could be, New York City or it could be like some tiny little town in the middle of nowhere in some part of the world that you never would think of going to, they're proud of their town. Like even if they don't necessarily like it and they like they want to move, there's something cool about their town and they want to show it to you. Like that's been actually the best part of my travels was going to these little places that I would never otherwise go. Like um and just people taking me around to see cool stuff and like even next to the gym like hey where should i go or hey do you wanna do you wanna go somewhere they'll take you to the coolest things like i got to go to a tattoo shop where like this famous like world famous tattoo shop and i'm not really super into tattoos but the place was gorgeous and my friends who don't have tattoos i don't take pictures for them like hey like i went to see this guy's tattoo shop like and it's random but it's in a tiny little town in east germany that i would never otherwise go to but because of jiu-jitsu I went there. And so like, it's, I think just you make that bond on jujitsu, but then like the thing that I didn't do in the beginning was I didn't see the outside of mats. When I first started traveling, I literally just went from mat to mat. Like I would get on them, see the mats, 
then like maybe I would see a park on the way to the airport and then I go to the next place and just see pets. And that's fun, but ask the people about their town. And you're, when you're not training, it becomes so much better. There's actually a, I had a, uh, a lad. Um, he was his, uh, his first time, I think, leaving Malaysia. This would be about four years ago now. So just prior to me uh, meeting you. And it was his first time leaving Malaysia. He had this around the world trip planned, you know, because, you know, when you're on your first holiday, spend 10 months traveling. Um, and he, he was uh, early 20s, uh, blue belt. And he, he, his first stop, I think, was Stafford and my sofa. And that's one of like the, the first things that I really picked up about life in general. And like I say, about being proud of your own town is that it taught me to look up and because everywhere I kind of, you know, I took him around the town and, and I was, you know, trying to take him to the places that I think he'd be interested in um, from, a, from a tourist perspective, but he'd just stop at the random times and just look up and take photos. And it just kind of made me do the same and appreciate yeah. what I actually had around me. Um, I completely agree with uh, jujitsu. You know, something that Christian said um, in one of the first camps in this. I think it was like it didn't make it onto the full interview, but Dan Dan Lewis's interview with him, and he said that jujitsu is a, a you know fantastic vehicle for seeing the world. You know, he's not massively, massively, massively into jujitsu. You know, completely insanely. Obviously, he does it all the time, but when you can see it as this this life vehicle, like it changes your perspective on it. And the amount of things I've done since taking that on board, which changed everything. Um, I would have never gone to probably Tel Aviv, Israel. I would have never been to Gainesville or any of the... No, uh, you wouldn't. <laughs> You'd no. never go to Gainesville, Florida. Well, no, but any of those places we've done the, that East Coast tour uh, last year, like Johnny's place over in... Uh, Asheville, yeah. Asheville. Uh, I've actually got. I'm doing one of these with Johnny uh, soon. So uh, anyone who definitely check out that one because that's going to be really interesting. Um, but yeah, or like uh, going to to Tallinn, to Estonia, or um, Heidelberg, or uh, Connecticut. All these like places that you know never even appeared on my radar, but all of a sudden. Uh, I'm the guy looking looking up and there's people wanting to show me around their town. Um, and so definitely for those people who, uh, you know, maybe listen to two black belts talking about uh, the fun of traveling with jujitsu, do take on board the idea that it's not just for us, as in you go to any of these gyms, as long as you can um, be a amiable person, you can uh, kind of... Yep be empathetic to the the culture in the gym and kind of match and and uh, the people in there and like, like charles has said don't be an asshole or at least if you have to be a lovable asshole exactly um, you'll find that people just want to show off their town and jujitsu is just you know to 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 parrot christian and one of the most important lessons that literally maybe the most important lesson i've ever had of jujitsu is that it is a vehicle for seeing the world it's not it really is it's, uh, thing that's that's trapped in the four walls of your gym um what advice then like like crucial bit of advice like for anyone from white to black but who wants to um get out there and, and do a trip no i would that. get you oh the first thing is like you have to be comfortable so like by the end of all of my travels like 
I can travel anywhere. I can travel mm. comfortably, like with one tiny little bag and be completely like Spartan and sleep on someone's couch or I, or I can travel nicely and have like luggage and go to a proper hotel. Like I'm pretty comfortable with the entire spectrum of things. The first thing you got to figure out is what are your minimums, right? Like everyone has their minimum things that they need to feel comfortable. So like for me, I got all the way down to all I really needed was one pair of shorts, one pair of long pants. Um, I am personally partial to Dickies. I just like them. They're, they're comfortable and they're breathable and they take up less space in your bag, especially compared to jeans. A lot of people go with jeans, but they're, they're a little big. But this is we're getting too deep in the weeds right now. Um, just what's your minimum that you need to be comfortable? And then the next is going to be where do you want to go? And like if where you go matters, then what you do to save money on the traveling is you just make the time flexible. And if you don't care where you go, but the time is not flexible, then you can go and just type into your thing, like, here's where I am, and let's take a ticket to anywhere. And then you can see, well, what's the cheapest place to go or the most interesting place to go? So, like, I'll look at the top, like, five cheapest places to go, and then I'll cross-reference them with, like, what gyms are there? So, like, even before I started traveling, I did little trips, right? So, I had my first little trips around Florida. And then whenever I was on vacation or had a business trip, I would just look up, okay, type in jiu-jitsu in the Google Maps in that area. Oh, look, Ryan Hall's 50-50 is a three-hour car ride from here. Okay, can I get a car? All right, looks like I'm driving it to 50-50 um, instead of seeing the sites of Washington, D.C., because why not? And then I'll see the sites of Washington, D.C. later. Or I had a work trip to New York, and I was like, hey, do you guys mind sending me back two days later? And so then I got to go train at Marcelo Garcia's in New York and I got to wander around New York and got to, to train at like one of the most famous gyms in the world at that time. And so like it's, you, if you can, you start off just adding it as a little piece of your vacations or a little piece of your thing. And then once you get comfortable there, the big leaps are really like making your first trip that is just for jiu-jitsu. Because for a long time, Jiu-jitsu was a little sidebar. I would go and take a vacation and I'd just find a gym and a couple of days of the trip was jiu-jitsu. But the first time you make a trip that's just for jiu-jitsu is kind of a big problem. And then your first time leaving your country, maybe not in Europe because Europe, your, your countries are so close together that leaving the country is not a big deal for you. But for an American, the, the first time leaving the country and doing a jiu-jitsu trip was a, was a big deal. And then the next big deal for me is like going to a country where maybe English isn't the main language. So then like the language barrier makes things a little like extra interesting. Um, yeah. Asia's kind of, I mean, Asia's definitely, I'd say probably the, the hardest just because of the fact that like language barrier can be a thing. And sometimes you need visas and stuff, depending on what country you're coming from. At least the place I went to before so far, I haven't been to Oceania or, um, or Africa yet. So there's still on my, my two areas of the world I, I was planning on going to. But um, that's kind of a thing. Um, Europe tends to be the easiest just because of the Schengen visa. So you, um, you once you're in Schengen, you don't really have to worry about things as, as much as you would um, in other places, right? So pre-Schengen times, it would be really hard to keep crossing borders. But Europe makes that kind of easy. And a lot of people speak English in Europe, just like a lot of people speak English in, in certain parts of the world. And so I recommend just kind of set yourself up to make little gradual steps forward. Right. Like I got comfortable visiting the gym across town and I didn't come away thinking that my gym is better than their gym. Or maybe you did, but like, don't be a dick about it. 
Like it's okay to have your thoughts. Like if you think this gym is better or worse, but rather than trying to rank yourself and like seeing the visit as a, as a measurement, I like to just try and figure out what makes this gym special. Every gym has something unique about it. It could be an actual technique. It could be the way everyone gets along so well. It could be something aesthetic about the gym, like Mjolnir in Iceland is one of the most interesting gyms ever that you'll ever go to just for the architecture. Like the jiu-jitsu is great too. And the fact that just Icelandic men are huge humans. And so like going into a room where everyone is bigger than you, for me, it's kind of strange. Um, but every gym, just, just try and find that thing and try and learn from people. Like an open mind is your friend. So I kind of run on sentence, but to come back to the beginning, find your, your comfort zone in traveling to get a recap, right? Your comfort zone in traveling, start kind of give yourself a gradual buildup to kind of increase your difficulty as, as you go with the layers being like a trip dedicated to jujitsu, maybe a trip outside of your country, then a trip to a place where maybe they don't speak your native tongue and then go on from there as you make things a little more, more challenging for yourself. Uh, the Globetrotters camps are great. Going to a camp is kind of like letting someone do it for you, right? Because you're going to get jiu-jitsu overload, whether you go to a PJ Globetrotters camp or I've been to the um, ZR team camp in Balaton. I've been to camps run by um, other gyms. The very first camp I went to was just run by a gym from Pittsburgh uh, called Limitless because a friend of mine knew it. So like camps are a nice, easy way to like get that jiu-jitsu overload without having to plan anything yourself. But there's something special for me to, when you do it yourself outside of the camp environment that just feels like you make more friends. Use the BJ Globetrotters um, website. Like just typing it in being like, who wants to host me? It's harder now with Corona, right? You know, people don't want strangers in their house, but you can get around that if you just get your COVID tests or get your vaccine. So you can be like, look, I'm not going to contaminate you. Like, please trust me. Um, best advice I can give on, on, on that one until the, the Rona gets a little more manageable. I'd say like maybe, you know, uh, uh, I'm hopeful, optimistic, or whatever that the world will bounce back to normal at some point. So I think going from what you said there about uh, you can almost have like a trip advisor for for people who have visited different gyms and and, and give advice. Oh, ask me questions for real. Like hit me up on Facebook or Instagram, whatever. Like I'm I I like answering jiu-jitsu questions, especially travel questions. Like if you want to ask, like what what websites do I use and this and that? Cause there's almost always the question of either time and money. If you have time and no money, you can get a lot of places for almost nothing. If you have money, but not time, then there's usually a, a direct flight to most places. Like, do you want to spend? And there's usually, if you're smart, there's a middle ground, right? Like, mm. do you really want to spend an extra 15 hours on this plane to save 20 bucks? Probably not. Spend mm. the 20 bucks. <laughs> save your life. <laughs> um so obviously you know you were you were big into the travel then before corona happened and yes you have your own well you didn't have your own like home gym or you're the main coach or anything like that so how i have, coached at a gym yeah uh how has um this uh whole experience uh with with the rona changed how you've been able to do your jujitsu um and what you are planning going forwards it's kind of given me comfort with having some roots i was definitely in denial about corona for a while i still remember telling my girlfriend 
friend like, oh yeah, it'll, it'll be over in like a month, like two weeks or a month. Like, don't worry about it. She's like, I'm going to get mats. I'm like, no, we don't need them. Like the gyms will open back up. <laughs> yeah, that, that didn't age well, did it? I was horribly wrong and she loves telling everyone <laughs> often as she can. Like, I got mats. In the beginning, he thought this was going to be over in two weeks. And I was just like, yeah, there it is again. <laughs> I'm I'm so thankful and so like I got to kind of experiment on her as a as a guinea pig uh, student because the cool thing about being trapped in an apartment with one person for so long was that as an instructor I know you know this you almost never get you have a few obsessed students but you don't get to have students hit every lesson that you're teaching right because say that you you have something you want to teach over the course of a month students are going to miss classes or some, you can't make every new, every class new because you have to repeat some classes because people are going to miss class or they don't come on that day or whatever it is. But to have someone that I knew every single day, we're going to train and they're going to be there and I can build on what I did yesterday. And if you didn't get what it yesterday, I can review. So to have just a single person to just kind of like, download my jiu-jitsu into in whatever fashion I want I got to refine the way that I teach certain things and teach things in a very different way so like having her to be a student of mine and having her be willing was pretty amazing because she had already started jiu-jitsu before um before I started teaching her but having her be willing to let me coach her that way was was pretty amazing and then that kind of had me thinking about like okay maybe I should teach some jiu-jitsu in my, in my hometown a little bit. And so that led to me very slowly like accepting that I live here, I should start teaching here at least while I'm here. Mm. And so I have a small group that I started teaching over at a, a local CrossFit gym called Go Primal, um, owned by a friend of mine named Chris. And uh, I'm good friends with his, his, uh, his wife, Misty, who was one of the people who taught me to break dance back in the day. And um, it just all kind of came together. And then one of my other friends here in town he lent me some mats and so then I had I had mats for my gym and he was very kind he was just like no just just borrow the mats sir I don't need them right now and now him like giving me the opportunity to like to buy them from him as a used car like it's one of those things where Christian um one of my favorite things about going to the little charters was he had this class called create something that he teaches little like hour-long seminar that he teaches about how to do things um and just do cool things and I one of the things in it, he talks about uh, karma. He talks about just kind of being good to people, even if you don't see anything that's going to come to come of it for you. And this time being back here in Gainesville, so many people have been so kind to me and just so gracious and giving to me. And it's like that kind of what Christian says, like the, the, the karma points, the karma that you plant for years, because I never thought of it that way until he said it, but it's a good point. Like I just tend to like being nice to people. Like it costs me nothing to be kind. It really doesn't cost me anything. Like to have that kind of coming back at me this year and a lot of really great things that have been done for me by various people has been, I don't know, super fulfilling. Like I have enough mats to teach a very small, it's not a big group, but like I don't need it to be a huge group, but I can teach a small group of people a few times a week. And there's something about that that just feels special to me. I've taught every other time I've taught throughout my life has been for someone else's gym or it's been me teaching seminars. And so like 
I have a, I love making an impact. So there's a couple of students at various gyms all over the world who every time I come, I get to see their growth, right? But it's like a huge jump. Like I, see, I haven't seen them for six months or a year, but I remember them and they're still using something I taught, which makes me feel good. But at the end of the day, like they're not my student. And so I get to be like the cool uncle who comes by, but like I'm my dad. And so to like have a couple of students where I can say like, okay, like I get to be that. I get these get to be like my students and I get to kind of shape them with my version, my vision of jiu-jitsu with the concepts and ideals that I have. I don't know. It has me feeling like all warm and fuzzy inside. So like I'm building a small program here in town. I'm still doing small trips um, out to places like Tampa and stuff and Savannah. So um, you met Quentin, right? Last time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So at the time that I start thinking I'm too good at jiu-jitsu, I drive up to Savannah and have him demolish me for uh, a few rounds to bring the humility back. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I specifically remember that feeling um, <laughs> from, our, from our trip to Atlanta. Um, yeah, he moved from Atlanta to Savannah, so he's actually closer to Gainesville now. It's only a two, two or three-hour ride instead of the uh, five hours before. Oh, damn. Yeah, I remember that. that my, my, my geography is not bad. I understand how the world looks and works, but uh, living in the UK and then thinking that you could possibly drive from one end of the US to the other in a short amount of time um, and it not be painful. Uh, yeah. Huh. Uh, so just uh, I, uh, we've kind of referenced it a couple of times just for you know, everyone listening. So me and Charles did this, this tour, seminar tour last year where we started off in Gainesville and we did a, a seminar there. Then we drove just like two and a half thousand miles <laughs> up the east coast which looking back on that idea now sounds very insane um going up through we would uh, be super spreaders if, if any of us caught it we, we would be literally the devil to do that during the to, say like, to do to do that now and like say those words now you'd be yeah you'd be run out of town but back then like how much does the world change because that was literally like one week before Corona and the thing route. is that no one looked at us sideways, you know, like no one, no, no one thought this was weird. No, not at all. Uh, didn't wear masks. So, oh, so this is pre-corona, so no one was wearing masks. But you know, being able to to drive that distance and go out to restaurants seems so alien, right? Yeah. Now. Um, but yeah, so we drove up to uh, Savannah, Georgia, uh, to James Finicio's gym, uh, which yeah, was, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, and the the podcast we did with Colin Moulton that was hilarious. Yeah, with with Colin and Jimmy, that was so yes. much fun. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that was a that was a crazy nice gym. Shout out um, to the uh, the Barefoot Comedy Podcast, like that was yeah. that was so much fun. Hopefully, I can we can pop over and see him again. Uh, oh, sure. I I've saw Jimmy and James recently. They're they're, they're doing really well. Good, good. Um, then we went across uh, Georgia to Atlanta to first to Quinton's gym, and we both got destroyed. Uh, Which will that was my favorite moment. Like this is one of the things where I love about Quinton. He's just so consistent. Like we both get out of a car. We've been in the car for like what four hours. Like the easy. whole way there, straight out of the car, straight onto the mats, and we're like, all right, let's uh, let's start, man. Like just just got out of the car for far enough. He's like, oh, cool. He'll hook. <laughs> <laughs> That's literally how it went. He's like warm. He's been training for ages. He's covered in sweat. And we're, we're you know, yeah. 
folded up. <laughs> Never changed Twitter. It was, it was, it was absolutely great because what I loved about it was my thought process was because you're very frustrating for me to submit with any kind of maneuver more than once or twice in a row. Because you're, <laughs> when, I, when I think about rolling with you, I think about the board from from Star Trek. Like something's gonna work a couple of times, and then you 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 have assimilated it, and now you're a pain in the ass again. <laughs> well, actually, I, I, whenever I roll with uh, Naki, you know, um, a student from my gym, he, uh, he says I'm the most boring role. Yes. Uh, just because <laughs> nothing happens. It's just tiny inches of chess fighting. And I can, uh, I understand that now. Now more people are saying it. Um, then we went over to, to Sean's at 10th Planet, uh, Atlanta. Yeah, that was fun. Uh, then we, well, I think that was an overnight trip up to, um, oh, wow. to wasn't it? To Frank's where we trained in the uh, back in the of police the house. Yeah, in the middle of nowhere. Um, well, Sokoa is already a town. I think that town has less than 40,000 people. That town is yeah. small. Yeah, yeah. It seemed really small. Um, but being able to train at like, yeah, because obviously we don't, don't have guns in the UK. So to train in a uh, Georgia police station with like, you know, zombie killing ammo or whatever it was posters all over the wall i was like well this is a strange day for me uh frank was in um that that short trip with we then there then we obviously went straight up to to ashdor to johnny's place uh mm-hmm. north carolina which uh this is the kind of thing that we're uh, obviously i'm doing one of these with johnny and one of the the main topics i want to go through is that how for such a uh roguish individual um to have the most family like team like the 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 culture he's cultivated in that gym oh yeah the culture of that gym is something special that's what i meant like every gym has that thing that you remember and the 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 team atmosphere at rogue combat club is is truly something special yeah i want to talk about that with him and actually because i've the amount of things i i talk from from the atmosphere he's created and brought back to my own gym. Um, I think people need to hear how he does it. Um, and then we, I think after Asheville, we did that uh, something like it was like 800 miles or something, wasn't it? Up through, we went through up uh, West Virginia or Virginia or whatever to, to Washington, wasn't it? Yeah, we then, stopped yeah. off for a little pit stop in DC so you could see the capital of, uh, of our nation. Yeah. Uh, and then that evening we were in Maryland, weren't we, at Kenneth Brown's gym? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Second gear jiu-jitsu. Yes. Uh, then straight up to um, Chris Albrecht's. Uh, was Chris's first or was it in New Jersey? Yep, he's in Jersey. Uh, and then over to um, Brad's and Brad Wolfson's and Greg's over in Connecticut. And yep. I think we finished at Greg's, didn't we? Yeah, I think Greg was the very last one, and then we took in New York and uh, fed you some New York pizza, and uh, (laughs) amongst other things, since uh, when we went to Central Park. Oh yeah, you you climbed a random boulder in the middle of Central Park, a little little random rock there, showing off your rock climbing skills. You know, tons of fun stuff. (laughs) I don't sure if I can actually mention fully what what happened 
on this podcast, but I'm sure, pretty sure when I click uh, stop, we'll, we'll we'll remind ourselves of what actually happened on that trip. Um, oh, there was there was madness throughout the. Well, I think we lost you at one point because you wanted to see the Brooklyn Bridge. Yeah, I think, well, I I think just, we were looking, and so we just left you. We just left you by yourself, wandering New York alone. <laughs> actually, that's good. Uh, if you remember, you, I didn't realize this that the edibles were I don't know if they're legal in New York, but remember the gummy bears. Um. So the thing about that is, it's it's a, it's all very 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 hazy with that right now. So actually, I thought that they were. But the laws of of that kind of stuff in America right now are really, really weird state to state. Yeah. And so um, I actually don't know. Cause I thought that they were because there were those. That was what freaked me out about New York. I was so confused because there were literally like like weed ice cream trucks everywhere selling edibles right next to the police. And I was just like this, this, this is because I hadn't been to New York since that was the way that it was. And I was looking at like like a whole like you know NYPD like squad of people next to a weed ice cream truck. It was the strangest thing. But I guess New Yorkers know more than I do about this. But I guess it's all completely completely legal out there. But then I talked to somebody else who said that it's not. So I don't know, man. America's marijuana laws are confusing. I I don't actually know. I think maybe. Uh, Maybe we can get into the, the full details of that, that a, a little later. Because <laughs> I think this, yeah. this is supposed to be a, uh, uh, a, uh, an intro into the trip, not, not the uh, whole thing. Because I, I know how I am with rabbit holes. And like between that and like finding Jamaican food, there was so much great stuff that happened on that, on that, there was, that little yeah. wander. And so as a slight, uh, maybe I depend when people hear this, so we were recording this uh on the 19th of February, 2021. Um, we are hopefully going to be doing something similar, you know, coronavirus. Yes. Um, I think we're hoping for, I want to do it before it gets uh, like horrible hot. But if we do it, like, I mean, maybe June or July, because yeah. once we get into yeah. July, August, it's really hot. Like it's comfortable for someone like me from Florida, but I'm pretty sure that you might melt. You might just die in Florida. <laughs> I survived Tel Aviv, and that was like 43 degrees. Uh, we got a different kind of humidity out here in Florida, man. We're yeah, literally I, mean, a I can imagine it would be pretty terrible, yeah. But I have a surprise for you. So Natasha and I are going to take you on an airboat next time you come. You're going to get to see alligators on an airboat. That's, that's definitely happening next time. So, yeah, so there were two things there. Uh, this is exactly what we're on about with this whole uh, jujitsu is a great way of seeing the world thing. Uh, but also, yeah, if anyone's uh, around, uh, I don't know, America, uh, I don't know how far we're going to get uh, around about June time and absolutely come and check us out. We're going to be we're traveling. Yeah, definitely going to be um, Florida. Florida and Georgia are a guaranteed. Just whether or not we head up the East Coast again or if we start heading West, because we've had some people... Yeah, from Kentucky. The Midwest and, and West and, talk, and, so we might have to make it like half road trip, half plane trip. Because, yeah, I don't know how much vacation or, or time away from home that you can have. Because if it, because getting sure. to California is going to be pretty hard to then come back to New York. Like it, this might be too much. Yeah, I think I, I think um, just shot three weeks, so I think we could probably take it too. Um, anyway, before we get completely sidetracked, we'll talk about this. Uh, uh, 
off off the record. But yeah, if anyone's like listening to this, yeah, yeah, we can get into them later. Then, then please hit us up. Uh, but yeah, thank you. To, uh, I'll sort of bring this together. I um, say thank you to Charles now. Uh, if you have, oh, thank you. Uh, any uh, interest in in watching his uh, very um, travelled style of jujitsu? Like I say, he's, he's got a lot of experience teaching around the world. He's taken a lot from going to to numerous gyms. Uh, he's got plenty of uh, globetrotter videos he's taught at, and other places appeared. And definitely check out his, his break dancing uh, videos as well. Um, and yeah, oh yeah, and if you have, if you want a uh, a way to learn leg locks safely, I have a BJ Fanatics DVD leg locks one one. If you're interested yes, in, in that, and um, also just just bother me on the social medias. I, I like I like answering questions. Oh yeah, and I have a Rockfin I have a Rockfin uh, subscription site. If you want to check out, there's a Dar seminar on there, along with some other stuff, and there's always uh, new content being added. So that's me. Yeah. So. Uh... I'll say thank you now for for giving me your time this evening. Uh, Always, and I'm looking forward to to going on more of these adventures with you. Yeah, I'm looking forward to to having you along again, and definitely uh, picking your brain. Maybe next time we don't always we can talk about our uh, uh, get a little more nerdy about the jujitsu concepts because the thing about Chris is that I've had some very um, very conceptual very well-named seminars that I've taught at the BJ Globetrotters. And whenever I do one, Chris will teach one with the exact same name about a month to three months later. And usually teach everything that I taught, but then also have some shit I didn't think of that makes me feel like an asshole. So, um, <laughs> uh, so I have, a, I, Charles Harry teaches class called Choke Theory. Chris Payne teaches class called Choke Theory. Charles Perry teaches class called Street Theory. Chris Payne teaches class called Street Theory. It's almost I didn't like... know you did a Street Theory class. That's, that's, that's entirely separate. I didn't know you did a Street Theory class. Um, choke Theory, yeah, it was partially inspired by what you'd shown me. Um, theory, no, that, that's mine. Like you can't, you can't claim any ownership on that one. No, it's it's not. It's not even like. Is that this is the funny thing? I don't, I don't even actually think that you're, uh, that you're just trying to bite from me. I think we're, we're both actually like exploring jujitsu in a rather similar way, which is why, um, why we ended up becoming friends and why I chose to uh, <laughs> harass you, because we, we definitely are both trying to, uh, I don't know, I think get to this kind of like almost like E equals MC squared of jujitsu, like trying to distill all the knowledge and rules that make sense in jujitsu, in order to like generalize ideas to make them easier to understand and that's that's what i i notice whenever i listen to you teach is that you're you'll you'll make statements that seem like they're bs and then you you analyze the next side of the bitch it, that's actually true you you uh the one that i always remember is every single guard pass is putting some piece of your body between someone's armpit and the back of their knee and then adding the rest like one of my favorite sentences that you've ever said because like it, it's true and it makes you understand in a, in a kind of slightly different way, like what it is you're doing when you're passing guard. I'm a very big fan of these types of elegant sentences. And so like, thank you. we both try and do that. And so I think uh, this, this was a good talk about my wandering, but I definitely want to have a more nerdy conversation with you again in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I'll, I'll 
contact you and uh, we'll see when we can uh, do this again. But yeah, absolutely, we'll, we'll, we'll do one of these concept videos. So uh, anyone on my Discord channel that uh, heard this, like I said, Charles is very conceptually driven as well. If you have any questions for either of us, I'll, uh, I'll make notes of them and uh, we'll do another one of these uh, in the not too distant future. Uh, Beautiful. But yes, thank you so much, Charles, and I'll uh, hopefully see you over the summer. All right, see you then, my man. Take care, dude. Drop. Peace.